Last week, we started a new sermon series called God Is, Therefore I Don't. I know it's a goofy title, but the idea behind the series is this. It's looking at this is who God is. Let's, let's take our eyes off of ourselves for a moment and get our eyes affixed upon who God is. And we look at the character of God, and because God is this, therefore I don't have to do some things. Like, like, like a couple weeks ago, we looked at God is great. God is great. God is sovereign. And because God is great and God is sovereign, I don't have to be in control, even though I want to be in control all the time. I, I don't have to, to, to let anxiety rule my life because God is in control. God is great. Last week, we looked at God is glorious. He's beautiful. God is glorious. And because God is glorious, I don't have to fear others. We looked at the proverb that said that a snare for all of us is the fear of man, that that we want to appease and and, and please others. And when we fall into that trap, it is a trap, we lose sight of the glory of God. But when we focus on God as our glory, and he's glorious, and we're fully embraced in that glory, fully loved by him, then what? That frees us up to truly love and serve others. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a third one. God is good, right? God is good. And because God is good, God is good. Therefore, I do not have to look for satisfaction elsewhere or anywhere else. God is good. And because God is good, I don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. See, God created us to be in need. That's how he created this world. God created us to be in need. Jesus teaches us to pray, right? Lord, give us today our daily bread. When the children of Israel experienced the miracle of the Red Sea, they went into a desert. And what happened? There was no food and there was no water. And they began to freak out. And what they discovered was that God provided for them in the season of drought. God could bring food to them in the middle of the desert. Why? Because God is good. God satisfies all of our needs. He is good. And so he continues to give us these reminders. And all of these are reminders that we need him, that we need to be satisfied in him. He gives us hunger so we would hunger for him. He gives us thirst so we would thirst for him. He gives us exhaustion. Why? So we would find our rest in him. He gives us love and this need for love and the need to be loved. Why? So we could find it in him. Relationships, the good and the bad and the ugly of relationships. Why? So we could have a relationship with him. Intimacy. This desire to be known deeply within ourselves. Why? So we could find that and be deeply intimate with him. God gives us all of these things. Why? So that we could find our satisfaction in him. And so we're designed for God. And none of these things can be satisfied outside of ourselves. Or let me say another way. 
none of these things can be satisfied within ourselves. They must be satisfied from something outside of ourselves. And that's where we get into trouble. Because God puts these needs, these needs for hunger and thirst, these needs for relationships and intimacy and exhaustion and love and to be loved. And they can only be satisfied from outside of ourselves. So so what do we do? We look for things to be satisfied in creation, not in God, in creation. And rather than looking for them to be satisfied in the goodness of God, we try to find them to be satisfied in other things of creation. And today today, I want to bring a message of hope to myself that I've been trying to preach to myself all week and to you that we can be set free from this We can be set free from trying to find all of our desires and other things rather than God. And it starts by knowing, first of all, that God is good. And and by knowing that God is good, I don't have to look for satisfaction anywhere else. That true freedom is being liberated from our misplaced desires. For love and food and provision, exhaustion and relief and intimacy. And by placing these desires only in the goodness of God. And so I want to draw your attention. I want us to focus upon these verses from Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, verse 8, 9, and 10. And before I read this particular psalm to you. Let me give you a little background. If you have your Bible there or your Bible app, open up to Psalm 34. And when you look at the psalm, it says in Psalm 34, you'll, it has a, a couple of titles there or subtitles. The first thing you'll see is it says, written by David, and that's King David. Yes, that's David and Goliath. That's a David, the man after God's own heart, the great king. So it's written by David. And then it has a, a very interesting subtitle. You'll see this in different parts of the Psalms. And what it is trying to do is put the context that, that I want to explore a little bit, the context where the Psalm comes out of, where, where David is, is saying that God is good, but it comes out of a certain context. And so David puts the context in it. It says, written by David. And then there's a subtitle and it says this, when David pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. That's an interesting context, isn't it? It says, written by David, but, it's, but Psalm 34 comes out of the context where David pretended to be insane. He pretended to be a madman before Abimelech. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter, 20, chapter 21. It goes all the way into the beginning of chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. Who Abimelech then drove him away and he left. Well, let me, let me paint the context for you here a little bit. So after David defeats Goliath, he, he is welcomed into King Saul's uh, reign. And everywhere David went, he experienced success. And Samuel tells us that what happened, what happened was that the, that the Spirit of God left Saul and went on to David. Well, Saul notices this, and, just, and Saul becomes jealous to the point of that he wants to 
kill David. Well, word gets to David, and David then flees. And he flees to the Philistine territory, goes to this place called Gath. And it's not a Bimlech there. Historical, um, excuse me, biblical historians tell us that uh, Abimelech was just a common name that um, the Jewish writers had for any other king. The, the king here is really Achish. And so David goes to the Philistine territory trying to flee from Saul. He goes to this town of Gath. There is Achish. And all of a sudden, they're not too friendly to David. Why? Because he kills all these Philistines. And so David, the great warrior king, puts on this act. He pretends that he is a madman, that somehow he, he actually pretends that certain, that he starts foaming at the mouth and everything. Everyone thinks he's crazy. And so they send him away. I, I can't picture that. That's a, that's a whole other sermon. But, but, but David then leaves and he flees to a cave. And he's in this cave And many people believe that he's in this cave for three to six months. And at some time, uh, maybe at the end of the third month, or we're not sure, about 400 people come to join David to live in this cave. But it's in this time, this three to six month of David in the cave that he writes, we know at least three Psalms. Psalm 142, Psalm 57, and Psalm 34. So it's from the cave that David writes this. He, he first writes Psalm 142. And, and he writes these words. And in Psalm 142, verse 7, David says, Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name, O Lord. And he writes these words from the cave. Next, he writes Psalm 57. In Psalm 57, in verse 5, David writes, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I will praise you. In verse 9, he writes, And I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. And we see David all of a sudden get into this spirit of praise that his eyes are off of his condition of being set free from prison. And now he is, he is in the season of worship and praise. Keep in mind, he has exiled himself to this cave. And then we come to Psalm 34. And again, he is here in this cave, exiled. And he writes these words. And I want to just read these words, starting in verse 8 and going to verse 10. David writes these words, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weary and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, lack no good thing. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. David is is laying down some truth here. The Lord is good. 
in the original language, it says, the Lord is good. What David's saying here is, I want to lay down the truth that, yes, I am in this cave, and we could probably use the cave maybe as COVID. I am here, sort of exiled. I'm here in, 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 a, in, a, in a strait, a dire straits here. I'm running for my life, so I'm in this dark cave, but I know a truth. The Lord is good. It's good. And so he, he knows this truth. But he, he's challenging us to do something with that truth, to taste and see it. To taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and the word taste here doesn't mean like just sample it, you know, like you're at Costco or Sam's or where you go and you just sample the food. He's not just saying, I don't want you to sample God. I want you to experience the goodness of God. You know, we've been walking through this, this season of COVID. And one of the things we, we realize is that as a church, we want to walk with Jesus every day. Hashtag Jesus every day. And that we want to be his disciples who are following him. <coughs> who are following him, being changed by him. And also committed to his mission. And one of the things is that being changed by Jesus and following him, being committed to a mission is also tasting his goodness. Experiencing his goodness. What David is saying here is that I don't want you to just know that he is good. Right now in this cave, I want to taste that he is good. I want to see his goodness. It reminds me of this parable of the great banquet that Jesus tells in Luke 14. He says, this king has prepared this great banquet for everyone. And he tells a servant this. At the, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? I want you to come, for everything is now ready. What David is saying is there's this truth. The Lord is good. Now I want you to come and taste it. I want you to come and experience it. I, I want you to come and see it. I want you to lean in this. I want you to live with this mindset that God is good. David, right, who knows about lions, he knows about bears, right? And he's a great shepherd. He says this, the lions may grow weak and weary. What? They're at the top of the food chain. Lions are going to go hungry and go weary? No, we don't think so. David says, yes, they will. The lions will grow hungry and will grow weary but those who seek the Lord, what will lack? No good thing. Why? Because the Lord is good. When you walk in his goodness, you're going to be satisfied. You're not going to lack any good thing. When you come to your need of being hungry and thirsty, he will provide. Do you know that? Are you walking in the goodness of God. You know, it's a challenge for us. 
all of us as humans. We see this early on in, in Genesis 2 and 3, 1, 2, and 3, actually. Adam and Eve were given this beautiful garden. And they could have everything in the garden. Everything they needed was in this garden. But they didn't know it. And so when the serpent brings them this apple and says they could have more, and they bite into it. And the scriptures tell us when they saw the fruit of the tree, that was good. But it goes on. And the fruit that was pleasing to the eye. And it goes on. And also when they saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, they took it and they ate it. See, Adam and Eve had everything. But they wanted more. They had God. And they wanted more. And they went to satisfy themselves. When they went to satisfy themselves outside of God, they realized they had nothing. No clothes, no food. And that's the trap. The world convinces us that we have nothing. The world convinces us that God cannot satisfy, that God is not good. But when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, that he has brought this new kingdom here on earth and that it is good, that it is a treasure I mean, Jesus tells a parable, right? He says, there's this treasure that, that's hidden in a field. And this man goes and he discovers this treasure. And rather than digging up the treasure and taking it home, what does the man do? Jesus says the man goes home and he puts everything on eBay, and he sells his house, and, and, and he takes everything out of his 401k, takes everything out, and he goes and he buys this field because that is his greatest joy. All this stuff did not compare to the treasure in the field. That's what David says. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Translation, those who seek apart from the Lord will lack good things. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good. The treasure became more precious than anything, more valuable. It became the greatest satisfaction and the greatest joy for that man. We see it in Paul's life, right? Paul writes these words in Philippians 3, but whatever was gained to me, I now count as loss. Whatever was gained for me, I now count it as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, he writes, I count, I count all things as loss compared to what? You know this, the surpassing excellence, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, 
my Lord, from whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. God is good. I don't have to be satisfied in anything else. Jesus was talking with this woman at the well. And then she's there to, to draw water. And, and he says to her, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said, well, where, where can I get this living water? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty. They're going to, be, they're going to thirst again. I'm talking about the water here at this well. But whoever drinks the water, I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. Wow. He says, you have come to this well to get this water and you, and you have to keep coming to this well to satisfy your thirst. But let me tell you, there is a deeper longing. There's a deeper thirst that you have that this water will not satisfy that the need is for something outside to satisfy a deeper longing inside. Tim Keller, in his translation uh, of this passage, says, splashing water on your face is not going to work. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. Yeah, you can take this water and splash it on your face, but that's not going to satisfy the deeper longing in you. Just, just splashing God on your face taking the Bible and the splash on your face, that, that, that's not going to do anything for you. That's not going to satisfy a, a deeper need. You can go into all, the, all this world and splash more water, splash a better job or a better relationship or, or a better 401k or, or a better love, right? Or more goals, right? That's not going to satisfy a deeper need that we have. You need deeper water, that only I can give. Only God can satisfy. That's why he says that the water I provide, that my father provides, will be in you, will be a well inside of you that will then spring up. St. Augustine has this concept of love and he, and he describes these desires we have as loves. But he says, what happens is our loves get disordered. Like our, our, our love for intimacy gets disordered in pornography and sex. And our, our love for affirmation gets, gets, gets disordered in finding that in other people. Our, 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 our love for thirst and provision gets gets caught up in our love for work and providing for ourselves. And these loves are disordered. And what happens is then we, we don't find any true joy in life because our loves are disordered. And so what Jesus has done, he has come to, to reorder our loves. And it starts by, first of all, a love of God. 
and then everything else falls into order. Is that finding our love in God, of knowing that he is good and, and that I can enjoy him and that I'm fully satisfied in him and that fully loving him and loving his goodness and tasting to see that God is good and that when that love is right there, then everything else falls in the order. But then when I do not seek God above everything, then my whole life is in chaos. And sometimes the experience of life does that to us. And we come to the end of our best decisions, our best thinking. And that's why we need Jesus. This woman, he, she says, I want this water. She says, well, you need to go and go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus is right, because you've been looking for love. And you're currently living with this, with this guy. And you're chasing after all these desires that I'm the one who can satisfy. You know, when we look for our, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, and try to satisfy these needs elsewhere, we become bitter. We become lost. When we complain. Because people and things eventually they fail to deeply satisfy us. They do. People and things, we look to find satisfaction in them and they will fail all the time. They won't deeply satisfy our souls. They won't deeply satisfy the need that God created for us. And so what happens is instead of seeking ultimate satisfaction in the goodness of God, we look to food and drink and sex and exercise and achievement. We find our identity in all of our kids and what they're doing. We even go to religion. But we just need to trust in the one who created us and forms us and shapes us and knows us. It's only in him that we are truly satisfied. See, Jesus came to satisfy our hungry souls. He came to satisfy our thirst. Jesus came to reorder our love. Jesus came to show us that we can taste and see in the goodness of God. And that when we're hungry and we're at our wit's end, he is there to say, I am enough. I am enough. I can fulfill and satisfy your deeper longing. He is good. So, where in your life right now are you saying, I know God is good, but he's not good. Where do you need to experience the goodness of God? Where are you finding satisfaction in other things besides God? There's only one who satisfies. And so I invite you today to begin a new life, to reorder your life, to say, Jesus, I am only fulfilled in you.
I want you to come and be the center of my life. And we call that making a decision. To be a disciple, you have to make a decision to follow Jesus. To not follow the world, but to follow Jesus. Deeply satisfying life. There's a, there's a button you can click there in the chat room. You can have a conversation with someone about today, giving your life over to Jesus. Or maybe you want to chat with Danielle right now on the Facebook page. She's there. She'd love to have a conversation with you. Or maybe in the after party or later this week, I'd love to have a conversation with you about, about what that life is and how to give your life over to Jesus. My friends, he fully satisfies us. God is good. We don't have to set, find our satisfaction in anyone else. Be set free and live in that freedom today. Because Jesus is better.